Before we get started, I just want to say thank you once again, and this not only comes from me and ministry staff, but especially from uh, our shepherds. We're just so grateful for all of the ways that you, you've just been disciplined and you've been compliant, cooperative when it comes to wearing the mask, when it comes to social distancing. We just appreciate so much what you're doing to, uh, to make this kind of an assembly happen. And, uh, and, and again, we want to say to those that have not made yet the decision to come back, uh, we miss you, but we understand and we're grateful for you and we pray for you as you pray for us. And we want to worship God together through the live stream and in, in live auditorium worship at the same time. And uh, we just want to be a church body that worships God and says amen to scripture and to the cross and to grace and to forgiveness and to, and to look forward to the day when we can do this all together. But in the meantime, this is the way that we're going to do it. We're grateful for your spirit of cooperation. And right now we're in a series that I'm calling The Life Worth Pursuing. For in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul writing to that church says, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. These words, the words of this text, answer at least two really big questions for us. And the first question is, what does my life look like once I become a Christian? What does my life look like when I become a Christian or after I become a Christian, after repentance and confession and baptism? The second question that it answers is this. What kind of life does the world need right now? What kind of life, what kind of human being is needed right now today to help bring healing and grace and kindness and love and the blessings of the gospel to this world right now. As a disciple of Jesus, which we are, we bring a different kind of life. We bring an extraordinary kind of life into the world. And we might describe that life this way. It's the eternal life kind of life. Eternal life is not only for the future. It's not something that we experience only in the future, but it is something for the present. The Bible speaks about eternal life as a life with God at the end of time that never ends. Uh, John chapter 11 verse 25, when Jesus is standing in front of the tomb of Lazarus, he, he talks about even though he die, he will live again. But Jesus said it is also something that happens in the present. In one of his last recorded teachings in the Gospel of John, John chapter 17, that great high priestly prayer that he prays at the end of his life, right before the betrayal and the crucifixion, he gives a very definitive statement as to what eternal life means. In this prayer, at the very beginning of it, John 17 verse 3, it's up here on the screen, now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Very definitive statement. This is eternal life, that they know you, that they know you, God. Not just intellectually, not just academically, but as you know, the word know means a rich kind of a knowing, a, a relationship, an interaction. As a disciple of Jesus, we have been defining eternal life out of this passage this way for us as we think about the kind of life that we live after baptism. And it's this, eternal life is an intimate and interactive life with God that's forever, but it begins right now. Eternal life is an intimate and interactive life with God forever, without end, beginning right now. 
The life of a Christian is really the life of a disciple. Jesus calls us to follow him, and in following him, to become his disciple. In that follow me, he is describing what our life is to look like. When people look at us and they see the way that we do business, the way that we do family life, the way that we drive, the way we do our work, the way that we interact with neighbors, they should see something that makes them think follower of Jesus. That's the identifying mark of a disciple. Follower of Jesus. But at the same time, that's also the means by which it happens. Do you know how you begin to look like a follower of Jesus? You follow Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is leaning into God's future. That's what it means to experience eternal life, intimate, interactive relationship with God right now. It means that we are leaning into God's future and slowly but surely, day by day, and with the help of God's Spirit, we are transformed into His likeness. Now that's been, you know, the substance of the key passage for this series. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18. We, Paul writes, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. I don't know exactly everything that that glory means, but there should be something about the glory in you that is increasing on a daily basis. We're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So this is what it means to be a disciple. We are participating in eternal life right now, even though it's down the road. Eternal life is an intimate, interactive life with God forever, beginning now. And as a disciple of Jesus with the Spirit inside of us, we live like Jesus with the help of the Spirit until Jesus is formed in us. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth. Disciples must never be superficial people. I mean, we get that, right? Especially in a time like this. Our character must never be just a mile wide and an inch deep. The character of Jesus, the, the attributes of Jesus, the, the virtues of Jesus must flow from the core of our being, from the very center of who we are, and overflow out into everything and everyone we encounter on a daily basis. We must become, with the help of the Spirit, we must become virtuosos of Christian Jesus virtues. We talked about this last week. Loving others as Christ loved us is not natural. Love is not natural to human, fallen human beings. Loving others as Christ loved us is not natural to fallen human beings, but it becomes second nature in a thousand decisions that we make throughout our life with the help of the Spirit to, to not make the world about us, to, to get us out of the center of the orbit of the universe and decide, like Jesus, John chapter 13, to wash other people's feet and to serve them, to do nothing, as Paul writes to the church in Philippi. A thousand decisions with the help of the Spirit to not do anything out of selfish self centered ambition, but to be humble before God and to be humble before other people and to put other needs before our own. With the help of the Spirit and practicing that virtue on a day-to-day -day basis with ever-increasing glory, with the help of the Spirit, we begin to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. That is why Christian character is important. Let me give you another reason this morning. We have a long 
standing job description. Our text that Sean read just a few minutes ago contains the original job description that God gave human beings from the very beginning of the creation of the heavens and the earth. From the creation of the world, this was job one for, for created human beings. I want to read it to you again, and I want you to hear over and over again certain phrases that are being repeated. This is Genesis 1, beginning in verse 26, 27, ending with verse 28. Let us make, then God said, let us make human... In our image, according to our likeness, and let human reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the animals, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created human in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and bring it into order, and reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that goes on the ground. Did you hear those key phrases? There are about, uh, about ten of them. Let us make human in our image, according to our likeness. Let human reign. God created human in his image. In the image of God, he created them. God blessed them. He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Bring it into order. Reign over it. As you, as you, as you think about all of this being said in Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28, there are two really big facts that stand out about what it means to be a human being before the fall. Fact number one, humans were created in the image of God. Humans were created in the image of God. Fact number two, humans were given authority over creation. Now here's the big question. What does it mean to be created in God's likeness and to reign over creation and to bring it into order? I remember reading a, a book, I, I've mentioned this book to you several times, uh, uh, Annie Dillard wrote a little book back in, 19, I think it was 1968, Pulitzer Prize winner, it was called Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. And one of the things that she writes about is she spends this, this year in the wilderness and it is one of the most geniusly written books on nature and God's uh, creation that, that I've ever read. And one of the chapters in particular that is striking is how she talks about the power of fertility in the world. You basically have to poison and destroy and burn and kill everything in order for the earth not to be able to reproduce itself. What does it mean for us to be made in the image of God and to be given the responsibility of bringing creation into order? Well, another guy that has written a lot about this particular subject theologically is Tom Wright. And this is a quote from one of the books he writes on this subject. He says, Human... Is thus a kind of midway creature reflecting God into the world. We're made in God's image. Reflecting God's image or reflecting God into the world and reflecting the world back to God. The original human job description goes like this. The original human job description was to reflect God and God's will into creation as his image bearers and to give articulation to creation's declaration of the glory of God. 
in summary, as image bearers with dominion and bringing it into order, we as human beings reflect God into creation. But as creatures and as part of creation and doing what creation is supposed to do and creatures doing what they're supposed to do, we are gathering up the praises of creation and reflecting that back to God. But as you know, the story takes a little bit of a sinister turn in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve disobey God, and sin enters into the world, and with it the curse and death. And the natural thing is to think that when this happens, God has fired the humans from that original job description. But here's the thing. That job description for humans was not canceled by God. The original job description was not canceled by God, even though we keep blowing it. Think about what is written about human beings centuries, centuries after the fall of human beings in Psalm 8. What is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds, and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. God wills to flood the earth once more with the knowledge of God and his glory and his presence. And that job description has never been taken. Even as David is writing Psalm 8, he is recognizing this is what we're supposed to do. You have crowned us and you have made us rulers, and but your name, God, is to be majestic throughout all of the earth. And so after the fall, God restarts the human project with one man by the name of Abraham. And the project continues with the family of Abraham eventually becoming 12 tribes in Egypt that are later enslaved and then later liberated by Moses. And as he takes them out into the desert, the 12 tribes, you know, on the way to the promised land, the 12 tribes become the nation of Israel and they are given the original job description of Adam and Eve during that period of time, 9 to 12 months, that they're at Mount Sinai. Remember what is said in Exodus chapter 19? God is speaking to them through Moses, and he says, Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom, a word that implies authority. You will be a kingdom of priests, another important word. The priests, those given the task of bringing heaven and earth together in praise, and a holy nation, and a light to Gentiles. But you know, the story, Israel too fails. So as Adam and Eve were exiled from the Garden of Eden, so Israel goes into exile, first into Assyria, those first ten tribes, 150 years later, the two tribes to, to Babylon. And then after several centuries, the Messiah, the one man, Jesus comes, and through faithfulness, and through the cross, 
and the burial and the resurrection and the ascension to the right hand of God, he triggers the trajectory for the world to once again be filled with the knowledge of God as his spirit falls upon people at Pentecost. And guess what? The vocation, that original vocation, Jesus came and fulfilled where everyone else failed. That vocation is extended to disciples of Jesus and to the church. Remember the language of Exodus chapter 19? You're going to be a kingdom of priests. You're going to fill the world with the knowledge of God. Same thing, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. Peter writing to the church in Turkey. He says, but you're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're God's special possession. Why? that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. You're going to fill the world with the knowledge of God the way the waters cover the seas. As disciples of Jesus, as a royal priesthood, as a holy nation, as God's special possession, each and every day, we reflect God back into God's creation. We reflect God into God's creation. That is part of our job description. And when people see us, they see Christ, who is the image of the invisible God. In the ancient world, uh, statues of kings and statues of emperors of the conquering nations would be erected throughout conquered nations. Now why did they do that? It was because they wanted, as you walked by the statue as a conquered person, you would be reminded of who is in charge. You would be reminded of who is in control. The same is true today. You go into any government office and there's a portrait of the president. There's a portrait of the one who's in charge. The president or the prime minister or the king or queen. As disciples of Jesus, we are reflecting God back into the world. That's why character counts. As, as humans, we are made to reflect the likeness of God. As disciples of Jesus, we live as followers of Jesus, doing everything that he did. And then secondly, as the ones who declare the praises of God, we bring not only, not only do we reflect God's uh, God back into God's creation, but we bring grateful praise to God. Second Corinthians chapter 4, just right after that passage in 2 Corinthians 3, that is the heart, kind of the theme passage of this series, Paul says, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. As the image bearers, we show what life looks like when God is in charge and the idols are not. As eternal life people, our treasure is in heaven, although we, we presently live on a fallen earth. 
As worshipers of God, we're not just giving God flattery. God, want a nice suit. God, want a nice haircut. God, have you lost a little weight lately? No, when we are worshiping God, we are not giving flattery to God, but we are saying to God, and we're, just, we're saying to the world around us, that God is everything. And that the best life and the life worth pursuing is the life that reflects his son in the core of our very being. As disciples of Jesus, we say and live to everyone around us, follow us as we follow the example of Christ. Let's stand and sing.